0: Hi, and welcome to the Breastfeeding Medicine Podcast. I'm your co-host, Dr. Ann Eglash. I'm a clinical professor in the Department of Family Medicine at the University of Wisconsin School of Medicine and Public Health and a board-certified lactation consultant.
1: And I am your co-host, Dr. Kathy Leeper. I've been a breastfeeding medicine specialist since 2001 and I'm currently practicing in Nebraska and Kansas.
0: This podcast is produced and edited by The Milk Mob and is co-sponsored by the Academy of Breastfeeding Medicine. Are you ready to go? Perfect. So what I'm going to talk about first is um, an article that was written by Phil Anderson, who's a pharmacologist specializing in lactation. And he started writing these columns, I think it's it seems to me like once a month in Breastfeeding Medicine Journal, um, doing a LactMed update. And as mm-hmm. you and I both know, LactMed is the database that's with ToxNet, which is from the National Library of Medicine, and they review substances. Oh, go ahead.
1: I was going to say, and it's awesome.
0: And it's awesome, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, it's really my go-to resource for anything, and I love sharing it with um, families and um, Mm -hmm. other doctors. Yeah. So in the ninth issue of the 2016 Breastfeeding Medicine Journal, he has an article that uh, he entitled New and Unusual LactMed Topics. So the first topic, um, it was on new insect repellents that are out there, and even though it's February and I'm looking out my window and I see a bunch of <laughs> snow, I thought it would be really fun to talk about insect repellents because it just reminds me of like those really great evenings when it's like finally cooler and there's a nice breeze and it's like, darn, there's mosquitoes, but gosh, it's so nice out here. So I thought I'd yeah, talk, yeah. <laughs> um so uh so to me it's been really exciting to see these new insect repellents out there because as you know maybe you don't know but in the state of wisconsin we consider mosquitoes the unofficial state bird and <laughs> <laughs> we said that when i was in Minneapolis too
1: so i think it's more than your state
0: but well, we yeah. kind of share that because we we're the you know the <laughs> land of Land of lakes, you know, and so is so is <laughs> right. Minnesota. So yeah, with all these lakes, is just standing water galore. Um, yeah. And DEET uh, is the old standby, um, but for years we always counsel parents, you know, as a as a family doctor or pediatrician, we always counsel parents to make sure to use the least amount of DEET for infants and children, even though now. LactMed and other groups, like even the Environmental Working Group, state that DEET is probably not as neurotoxic as we once thought. Um, But nevertheless, there are these new insect repellents out there. One's called IR3535, which I think is really a funny name for a drug. (laughs) The other one is called Picoridin. And the other one is Oil of Lemon Eucalyptus, which actually comes from the name, that's the name of a tree that's in Australia. And according to the Environmental Working Group, um, both um, Picaridin and IR3535 are probably as effective as DEET. Um, The oil of lemon eucalyptus is probably not as effective. But the bottom line Mm -hmm. is that LactMed considers all of these substances, all these insect repellents safe during breastfeeding. Even the high concentrations of DEET, like I think we have like a 35% DEET that we use when we go camping, um, yeah. and quite honestly, I don't think it really works as well as it should. So I'm excited to try these other things, but the bottom line is that we can, uh, what they're saying is that we can tell breastfeeding mothers that whatever they're using over the counter, you know, that's, that's, uh, you know, just that you can buy in the drugstore is probably fine for breastfeeding and she doesn't have to worry about it. And she can also use it for her infant as well. Great. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the next category are um, cancer chemotherapy agents. And Dr. Anderson mentions that there are some new oral ones that are probably safe during nursing. And I think this is really great news because we oftentimes, you know, when we, when we lecture or, um, you know, educate physicians, we oftentimes talk about chemotherapy as substances uh, that are generally contraindicated during nursing. Mm-hmm. So these drugs are called STIs or signal transduction inhibitors. And one of the commercial names um, is Glevac, G L E E V E C. And there are actually 37 of these on the market, which I have not, wow. and me, I don't know. I mean, you know, now that cancer chemotherapy has just gone through so many renditions of, you know, new medications and targeting, you know, genetic variants, it's really hard as a family doctor to keep up with all these. So I don't know if my patients have used any of these. Um, And obviously, cancer meds are a huge business if there's 37 of them out there already. Um, Mm -hmm. But the bottom line is that they're very highly protein bound. So they're not very likely to be transmitted into breast milk. And there have been already a few documented cases of breastfeeding mothers taking these meds during breastfeeding and the babies were fine. So that was pretty exciting. I think one of them, I think one case was a mother who had chronic lymphocytic uh, or myelastic oh my yeah my leukemia right thank you Mm -hmm. okay Um, and then another topic he covered was tattooing and uh, he states that there really has not been much research about the safety of tattooing during breastfeeding but the concerns about tattooing uh, are the transmission of the pigments to the infant via breast milk, and also the risk of infection. So in a tattoo situation where, there may not, where it may not be like a legitimate tattoo parlor, where there could be a risk of transmission of HIV, hepatitis B and hepatitis C through the needles, um, obviously that would be a risk for the infant. So um, in general, like this was a pretty short statement, but he said that lactMed generally recommends not having a new tattoo done during breastfeeding now I think a lot of I don't know I mean I guess I don't know how many breastfeeding women have tattoos during breastfeeding but mm-hmm. at our at our institution at the UW at the University of Wisconsin we do have um, professionals who do tattooing um, oh. and so I um, yeah so I, I uh, unless they're just removing the tattoos but I'm pretty sure they're doing tattoos in a very safe way so um, then the question is about the pigments I guess we just don't have an answer to that so um, I guess it's just for people to know that the party line is still to consider waiting on tattooing.
1: That sounds reasonable.
0: Yeah, I guess it's not like an, it's an elective, <laughs> it's, it's elective surgery, right?
1: <laughs> you might change your mind on what you want to have anyway by then.
0: That's true. That's true. <laughs> That's a good point. <laughs> um, and then dialysis was another topic. And uh, he pointed out that some breastfeeding mothers are on dialysis, some of these cases looked at the nutrients in breast milk when the mother's ready for dialysis. So when her, you know, various metabolites have accumulated and she's ready to be dialyzed again, the thought is that the nutrients do look different um, and may be out of balance. So the recommendation mm-hmm. is to consider um, having mom breastfeed after dialysis, which I think is, a, which I think is a tricky thing because... You know, the way dialysis works often for my patients is that they go in Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. So Mm -hmm. it seems like maybe Sunday might be the day that they might have more imbalance. I think we need Mm -hmm. further studies on that. Yeah. So I just wonder if, um, you know, maybe electrolytes um, need to be checked in infants um, when they're nursing and mom is, you know, undergoing dialysis. It's hard to say because it would be difficult for mom to, like, you know, let's say on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday after dialysis she can nurse, and then on Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, and Sunday she has to pump and dump, so it's hard to understand really what the recommendation would be there. But probably yeah. to know that maybe doing periodic chem- chemistry panels on infants if moms are being dialyzed would be a good idea.
1: Yeah, thankfully that's probably a pretty rare circumstance, but, um, but yeah, you could also argue that the the baby... Should be able to regulate their own electrolyte status.
0: Yeah. I don't know if they're healthy. Right, right. Just like if you give a kid a pickle, you know, like yeah, a 6 right. old a pickle, <laughs> and he gets a huge load of sodium, he's going to excrete it, right, you know? Right. So, yeah. So, hmm. That's a really good point, too. So, we yeah. So the question is if there's anything that's missing, but um, it would seem, if hmm. anything, there's going to be more of everything intermittent. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Um, The other topic that he brought up in this article is this issue of TENS units. And so the TENS units are those transcutaneous electrical stimulators that stimulate the skin. My patients typically use a TENS unit for chronic neck or back pain. And they do Mm -hmm. like them. They feel like they do help. Um, But then he mentioned something about how TENS units have been used for nipple stimulation when inducing lactation, which I thought was like... Never i never mean,
1: heard
0: of that one. I know. it's That is so unusual. I need to look up those articles and see if this was like before the creation of the breast pump or something like that. <laughs> but it shouldn't know. be because I think a 10-unit post-dates of breast pump. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was interesting. But basically, they're saying that, look, it's fine. It's safe to use during breastfeeding, which yeah. I don't know why we would think they wouldn't be. Mm -hmm. um and then there's then he mentioned something about radiation and um he mentioned that women who have radiation to one breast uh will not make much milk or any milk from that breast which is really the party line that i tell people anyway is that if one Mm -hmm. breast is irradiated it's actually irradiated the radiation is meant to kill any sort of cells that could become cancer which are which you know often is glandular tissue um and then he mentioned that um You know, some women undergo radiation for other reasons, like for Hodgkin's lymphoma, where the radiation is directed towards the mediastinum or into the chest cavity. And so there is some radiation that will scatter and hit the breasts as well. And maybe that's Mm -hmm. improved over time now that there's, you know, much more targeted radiation and they can avoid all the scatter. But generally, Mm -hmm. those women have less exposure of radiation to their breasts. So there's still a risk, but it's much less than if their breast is actually irradiated for breast cancer. Mm-hmm. And then um, we had that interesting topic that came up on the Academy of Breastfeeding Medicine Lister recently with someone posting about management of a woman who had Um, brain irradiation, or maybe she didn't have irradiation, but she had hypopituitarism. Her pituitary didn't function well. And then some people piped up about, you know, women who've had irradiated pituitaries. And um, so basically the bottom line is that if a woman has had brain irradiation, which she may have had as a child for something like brain cancer or leukemia or lymphoma, um, there's a good chance that she will not be able to kick in that prolactin um right and may have other issues like growth hormone and thyroid issues of course and so those are going to get evaluated when she tries to become pregnant um mm-hmm. but uh with like lact- so and she may become pregnant because there are means of you know she can you know means of doing in vitro fertilization and then you know she's a carrier but um but then with lactation there could be difficulty right right yeah And then um, the last thing that uh, he mentioned was about total parenteral nutrition, which we call TPN. I think some people call it another term in other places. And this is basically where women receive their nutrition through the IV. So for some reason, they're not able to eat and use their intestinal system for food. And so there there was a case report of four women who used TPN and they were able to breastfeed either fully or partially. And I guess there was a comment about Maybe partial breastfeeding happened because the supply was low because of nutritional um, mm-hmm. challenges for uh, the mothers. But basically, it's fine to breastfeed while uh, women are on TPN. Great. And that would probably be the case, too, like if a woman's on, um, you know, just on, like, uh, oral oral gastric feeds, like Ensure, you know, like just the oral formulas, Uh, for feeding, Um, it would seem to me that, you know, the work that's been done to make sure that those are nutritionally adequate would be sufficient to, um, for mothers to breastfeed on that stuff, too. Sure. Yeah. So that was that. I I really enjoy his column. I'm hoping he continues to do that. Yeah. That's very interesting stuff. Yeah. So, um, you're going to talk about a study about brain development. I am. It was in the Journal of Pediatrics
1: last summer, July twenty sixth, twenty sixteen, and it is entitled Breast Milk Feeding, Brain Development and Neurocognitive Outcomes, Colon, a seven year longitudinal study in infants born at less than thirty weeks gestation. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to digress for just one moment. The lead author, Mandy Belfort from Brigham and Women's Hospital in Boston, had a similar study um, that was published in JAMA in 2013 looking at um, term babies. And um, basically her intent here is to say that we've had some studies on um, looking at both neurologic outcomes and MRI characteristics Of um, mostly term babies. Not so much has been done in preterm babies. And she's building on this study that she did um, in 2013, which was quite huge. There were 1,312 kids in that one. Wow. That's Um, good. Yeah. And it was a prospective cohort study Mm -hmm. looking at um, the associations between breastfeeding duration and exclusivity. With child cognition at three to seven years, so this one didn't have um, uh, MRIs involved, but was looking at, um, you know, uh, IQ and um, vocabulary testing and such at three years, and then again at seven years. And um, what she found there was. Um, that the longer the kids were breastfed and the more exclusively, they were shown to have better receptive language at three years of age and verbal and nonverbal IQ at seven years of age. And um, she broke it down into um, 0.35 verbal IQ points per month of any breastfeeding or 4.2 points over 12 months. And then looking at the exclusive breastfeeding, it was .8 points per month or almost five points over six months. So really breaking down, looking at exclusive versus any. Um, But a weakness of it was it was maternal report in retrospect. So they were asking moms at some point between six and 12 months of age, how long did you breastfeed and when did you start feeding other things, which we know is not so horribly accurate all the time, Mm -hmm. but even so, even so you would guess that that it's an underestimation of the power of breast milk. So that was in term kids and looking at them at three and seven years with with cognitive testing. So the one I'm talking about here is looking at preterm babies and both doing um, cognitive testing and um, MRIs to look at brain development the other cool thing about it is they do it at two different, each of those things, at two different points in time. So it's kind of an elegant and complicated study looking at a a very important and difficult to tease out
0: topic. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Very hard, yeah. um,
1: A little more background. There have been a few studies looking at MRI growth, um, but again, mostly in term kids that have shown increases in cortical thickening, especially in the adolescent brain with increasing amounts of breastfeeding. Um, The authors state that there have only been two small studies in preterm babies that um, look at brain volume at 15 years of age and have found improved corpus callosum maturation Hmm. um, at term equivalent age. Um, but. As always happens with these studies, some, you know, some, they look at different points in time and they use different measurements. Um, the There's only been two studies of very preterm or very low birth weight babies since 1990 that have looked at breast milk intake or um, amount of breastfeeding in relation to school-age developmental measures. Mm-hmm. One of them was um, a French cohort and found that the risk of, they actually just looked at non-optimal neurologic development at five age, five years of age was substantially lower in infants who were breastfeeding when they were discharged. So again, this was just any breastfeeding versus no breastfeeding at the time of discharge, which was not a very specific measurement, but did show that five years of age, they had less problems uh, with neurodevelopment. And then a study in the U.S. showed no advantage of feeding expressed breast milk or direct breastfeeding through the first six months of age in these preterm or low birth weight babies um, at a battery of tests at six to eight years of age. Um, A major problem with this study, again, was with parental report of type of breastfeeding and duration of breastfeeding um, in retrospect. So she wanted to try and address that by looking at the amount of breast milk the kids were getting while they were in the hospital, Mm -hmm. and they decided to actually only look at the first 28 days, which is an interesting thing to do, but I guess the thinking was that there would be less attrition if they just looked, if they counted the kids that were um, getting breast milk in the first 28 days of life and found that there was... um, uh, a, an association between getting still getting some breast milk at 28 days and still getting breast milk at 40 days.
0: Mm-hmm. So they
1: just looked at breast milk for the first 28 days and um, decided to, um, uh, or I guess their hospital did not have donor milk available, so donor milk was not a part of the study at all. If mom did not have enough of her own breast milk, then preterm formula was given, and the breast milk was fortified routinely for premature babies. Mm -hmm. There were 180 participants in the study, and um, they were all less than 30 weeks gestation or less than 1,250 grams at birth. They were all born in Australia between July of 2001 and December of 2003. They were very careful about controlling for many different things, the infant sex, gestational age, exposure to steroids, supplemental oxygen use at 36 weeks, any diagnosis of sepsis or necrotizing elitis, or, sorry, enterocolitis were um, combined into a clinical risk index,
0: mm-hmm. and then they
1: created a social risk score based on maternal age, parental marital status, education level of baby's primary caregiver, employment status and income over the primary income earner, and the language spoken at home. So in their discussion, the IQ was found to be one half of one point higher for every additional day that the baby received breast milk intake of over 50% of their total enteral intake, and .7 points higher for every additional 10 cc's per kilogram per day of breast milk ingested, so the really the the complicated matter in which they did this makes it kind of hard to describe simply, but basically the more breast milk you got, the more IQ points um, you could expect at seven years of age. So they tried really hard to um, look at the effect of breast milk versus, you know, more versus less. And just looking at that first 28 days, which is really kind of astounding, what we don't have is how much breast milk did they get beyond that. They really did not track that at all. Mm. Wow, much? But just looking at how much breast milk did these little guys get in the first 28 days made a difference in the... um, deep nuclear gray matter, the thalamus basal ganglia, where the relay stations in the brain that are central to connecting the higher functioning you know, to the mid-level functioning of the brain. And then the hippocampus um, was also, which has been found in prior studies of non-preterm babies. The hippocampus was larger, which is, of course, for um, retaining information, memory, and learning things. Um, and again, a limitation was that they didn't collect any information about how much baby, how much breast milk the baby got beyond the first 28 days. They just looked at that first month.
0: Well, so it sounds like it was they did show a dose response relationship. So the more they got, the the better, the the greater those differences, right? Is what you're saying? Yes,
1: absolutely. Yeah. And the other interesting thing I thought was that. They're saying that it's easier. It it may turn out to be easier to quantify differences structurally in the young, you know, in the toddlers and below than it is functionally to see the little differences mm-hmm. at that age. But when you get up to seven years, it's easier to see with um, testing functionally how their brain is working. But the differences um, structurally become less obvious. I see. Which I- It kind of makes sense to me
0: yeah yeah
1: as it's developing you see more difference and then as they um, the brain does what it does to try and be the best that it can be over time you can't visibly see differences in volume like you could before but you can see the effects of the optimal development along the way
0: right right um, okay, so I think I'm going to leave it there, and um, it was great talking to you, and I will um, talk to you again in like a couple weeks. All right, sounds good. All right, good. yeah, take care, bye. Thank you, you
1: too. Bye-bye.
0: For questions regarding this podcast, contact us through the milkmob.org. We have other educational projects going on there, such as the Clinical Question of the Week and our Outpatient Breastfeeding Champion programs. If you want to see what we look like, check out our Facebook page where you can also share comments and questions with your co-listeners. To learn more about the Academy of Breastfeeding Medicine, please visit www.bfmed.org. Thanks for listening. We'll be back with you in a few weeks.